All right, good morning. Good morning. Good to see everyone this morning. My name's Obed. Um, if you're new, my name's Obed, and I'm one of the pastors here. King's Cross Church as a church, our mission, vision, and our purpose is to be a church family on mission with Jesus. Um, that is our goal, and that is our purpose, and we're thankful that for the last four years, we've seen God work in and through our church to help us fulfill this. Um, and so welcome. We'll, you'll get more information about our church and how to get involved a little later. Um, but until then, we're going to get into studying some scripture together. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn to um, the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians, which is in the New Testament. Um, Thank you. All right. This Sunday, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 um, to 18. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. And as we always do, may you please stand for the reading of God's word. Brilliant. All right, let's read. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through to 18 reads. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. As we look at the gospel and what the gospel is and it's not, and how it impacts and shapes our lives. God, I pray that you would give us not just a fresh understanding of the gospel, but everything we're exposed to this morning would definitely change the way we live and change the way how we relate to you and others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, some people think it's a genre of music. Others think it's meeting the practical needs of others. Some even believe it's good advice that can give you your best life now. While others think that if you really believe it, it will make you wealthier, happier, and more prosperous. What am I talking about? 
talking about the gospel. Thank you for those in the front row. I love it. I'm talking about the gospel. And I would say that none of these definitions or beliefs about the gospel I just read out are correct. In fact, they are incorrect. They don't accurately define what the gospel is. And so the question is, what is the gospel? The gospel is good news. The good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ to reconcile sinners to God by repenting of sin, asking God for his mercy, and trusting in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. A.W. Pink, an old-time author, preacher, says that the gospel is not good advice, but good news. It does not speak of what man is to do, but proclaims what Christ has done. There are some of the definitions of the gospel. The book of Philippians was written by Paul to a church in Philippi, and Paul also communicated what the gospel was. In 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15, verse 3 to 4, this is how he describes the gospel. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. All right, so he's saying the gospel is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the the scriptures. This is the gospel. The gospel is about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. This is the good news Christians are to live by and share with others. And the thing about the gospel is that it's not just good news that is proclaimed, but the gospel demands a response. How then will you respond to the gospel, or how have you responded to the gospel? If Jesus is king, if Jesus did live live a perfect life, if Jesus died for our sins, and if Jesus was victorious over death through his resurrection, how are you going to respond to the gospel? And the response the gospel requires and demands is that everyone everywhere who hears the gospel should respond by believing the gospel and surrendering their life to Jesus. From our passage this morning, what we're going to be doing after getting an idea of what the gospel is, is, we're going to discover several truths about the gospel. First, we're going to realize that the gospel is unstoppable. Next, we're then going to look at the gospel can be misused. And lastly, we're going to see how the gospel must be first and foremost in our lives. So first, the gospel is unstoppable, right? The Apostle Paul, 
um, was once an enemy of Christianity. But that all changed when he had this vision, vision-like encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. After this encounter, um, what happened was he became radically passionate about the gospel and about Jesus Christ. And so what he did was he traveled around the Roman Empire preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel with everyone everywhere so that they may become followers of Jesus. The Apostle Paul was so successful, he is considered by most to be the most influential Christian missionary and theologian of all time. And so Paul was highly influential. He, he traveled to like 27 cities, um, preaching the gospel and planting churches. But throughout his travels, Paul's ultimate goal was to preach the gospel in Rome. With a population of over one million people, all roads led to Rome. It was the most important city of the first century. Rome was densely populated, saturated with spectacular buildings such as the Empress Palace, the Forum, and Circus Maximus. And so during his third missionary journey, Paul got to fulfill his lifelong goal and finally made it to Rome. But the interesting thing <laughs> is he did get to Rome, but he got to Rome under circumstances that he had not planned. Instead of entering Rome as an open-air evangelist, preaching in the amphitheaters and debating the brightest minds of Rome in public arenas, Paul instead arrived in Rome as a prisoner. After being arrested in Jerusalem and accused of treason and insurrection by the Jewish authorities, he was sent to Rome in order to stand trial before Caesar. When he arrived in Rome, he was put under house arrest for two years. And so rather than being free to roam the streets of Rome and preach the gospel, Paul was confined to one small house as he awaited his trial before Caesar. But the most unexpected and fascinating thing about his time under house arrest in, is that Paul may have been confined to a room under house arrest, but the gospel was not. Look at verse 12. It says, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, right? What has happened to Paul? Right? He's in prison, under house arrest. He's saying, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You see the word advance right there? In Greek, it's prokopi. And it's a word picture in Greek of the Roman army marching and the engineers who are in front of the army paving the way by constructing roads so that the army can advance. And so Paul is saying to the Philippians, right? Everything I've been through, especially my imprisonment and my house arrest, has advanced the gospel. It has paved the way for the gospel. 
How has this happened? How has Paul's time in prison under house arrest in Rome served to advance the gospel? Look at verse 13. It says, he says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in, pre- I'm in chains for Christ. All right? So he's like, okay, my imprisonment advanced the gospel. How has it done that? It's become clear and it's become known among the palace guard that I am here because of the gospel. The palace guard, commonly known as the Praetorian, were the best of the best. All right? Think special forces, the FBI, and secret services combined. They were the elite of the elite. All right? They were the most specialized and hardcore group of soldiers in the entire Roman army. If you wanted, if Caesar wanted some special thing done, right, security-wise, he called upon the palace guards. They were his bodyguards, and they were also responsible for high-profile prisoners. If Paul had not been under house arrest in Rome, what would have happened? He would have been in Rome. He would have walked around the streets and shared the gospel (laughs) with many of the normal, everyday people. But under house arrest, he was given unique opportunities to share the gospel with the palace guards who are the most specialized and hardcore group of soldiers in the entire Roman Empire. And that is because, the reason why he got this opportunity was because for 24 hours, okay, how they guarded Paul was to be chained to him. And so, with each changing of the guard, Paul came a new opportunity to share the gospel. Just imagine, imagine being a palace guard, right? And you're on duty um, to guard Paul, and you're chained to him all night. (laughs) And you're like, I've heard a little bit about this guy, but he's kind of a weirdo. He's like been accused of insurrection and creating riots and everything, and I'm going to go and guard him, and I'm going to be chained with him. And so you can imagine a guard being chained to Paul. Paul would turn to them and go, hey, how are you doing? I've got 24 hours with you. Let's talk. By the way, I'm writing this letter (laughs) to a church in Philippi, and I'm telling them how thankful I am of them. And I'm also telling him about the gospel. What is the gospel? Shares his testimony and all that God has done. Paul's imprisonment resulted in the gospel getting to the very heart of secular political power in Rome. Charles Swindle says, rather than viewing his chains as in intolerable restrictions, he saw them as god appointed megaphones to get the message of the gospel into the imperial barracks. This is interesting. We don't know, okay, exactly how many guards were saved. We don't have that information. 
But what we do know is that every soldier who was on duty heard the gospel. Paul was not backing down, okay? He preached the gospel. And we also know that some of them believed. How do we know this? All right, Philippians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. All right, we're going to go there quickly, and we're going to come back to chapter 1, okay? What does it say? It says, is this is like the conclusion of the letter to Philippi of Philippians, okay? Paul is concluding it, and as he's concluding it, he's saying, hey, like, just sending you greetings from this, these people that I'm with. He says, all God's people with me send you greetings, okay? How's the rest in Rome? All God's people, all the Christians in Rome, send greetings, right? Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. <laughs> so interesting, isn't it? That is proof that through Paul's imprisonment, the gospel have reached people it never would have. People that work in Caesar's household. The next way Paul's time in prison under house arrest in Rome served to advance the gospel was that it made Christians in Rome more bold in sharing the gospel. Look at verse 14. It says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because of his imprisonment, most of the Christians in Rome have become confident what? in the Lord. And as a result, they've become bold and fearless when it comes to sharing the gospel. Paul's imprisonment encouraged most of the Christians who were free to spread the gospel with far more courage than they had before. Steve Lawson, who's an awesome preacher, says this, one believer on fire for God can embolden thousands with new courage. And we've seen that, haven't we? How many times have we heard of Christians risk their lives for Jesus and that particular ministry or, or, or kind of commitment and faithfulness? How many times has that just created more passion and a desire within you and other Christians to be more radical for Jesus? That's what's happening here. Persecuted Christians often embolden Christians that are timid. And so, what has happened to you? What has happened to you? For Paul, what had happened to him was he was imprisoned, he was in chains. That was what had happened to him. And as a result, God used that particular situation in his life to advance the gospel by reaching people like the palace guards and by inspiring Christians. And so what has happened to you? 
This is, when I was reading this, I was so challenged by this. A lot has happened to Paul until now. A lot more, right? If you read his letters and if you look at the book of Acts, he has been through it before he's got to this house arrest. And he is still passionate about preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel with others. That's, that's, that's seriously challenging for me. And the reason I say that is I know myself. Whenever I've experienced hardship, the last thing I want to do is preach the gospel. Let me give you an example. In 2020, beginning of 2020, my family and I were forced to you know, leave America. As you can, I'm not American, for all those who are new. Um, we, were forced to, we were forced to leave America because we got into some visa issues and go back to the UK. Um, it was one of the most traumatic experiences ever because our church was two years um, and we loved our church, we loved our city, our kids were in schools and we had to leave it all in order to go back to the UK. We love the UK, but we are called here. And it was hard for me. I remember finding out that we had to go. I locked myself in, the, in a room. I didn't want to come out. I didn't want to speak to anyone. Um, I was like, I'm going back to the UK. I even told my wife, I'm quitting the ministry. <laughs> I don't want to do any of this. I remember arriving in the UK um, at Heathrow Airport on my birthday. Right? It was my birthday, most miserable birthday ever. It really was. And the last thing I could think about was preaching the gospel. From when I found out till when we got there and we were settling, I remember I'd be I'd be in furniture shops and I would just be just head down. Zero interest in preaching the gospel. Zero interest in reaching out to our neighbors. Whenever I experience hardship, the last thing I want to do <laughs> is advance the gospel. What are you going through? Today is Mother's Day, and for some of you, you don't look forward to Mother's Day. Mother's Day triggers negative emotions because your mom may have passed away. And Mother's Day is the day where you grieve. It's tough. Um, for some of you, you've not had, you've had sour, not had the best of relationship with your mom. And so Mother's Day, um, it's hard because you don't know what to do. <laughs> do I text? Do I send a card? Or I don't want to do anything. I don't want to celebrate my mom because I don't have the best of relationships. Some of you, Mother's Day is hard because motherhood is not a possibility for you. It's hard. When I think about my time in the UK and my struggle to communicate the gospel and to be involved in the gospel, and God obviously has brought us back now, as I look back, I can see some of the ways God still advanced the gospel through our time there. Um, before we left and we had to go, and while we were there, the church, I would say King's Cross, and I would hear, was, 
incredibly passionate about the gospel. It was hard for everyone to see us leave, but it inspired our church to be more passionate and more radical about Jesus. And so today, whether Mother's Day is what you're struggling with or you're struggling with something else, know that in a way that you cannot understand or even see now, God is at work and he will use this struggle and challenge you're facing to advance the gospel. To make Jesus better. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we caused it ourselves, all right? Because of bad decisions and because of, um, you know, a result of sin in our lives, we are experiencing challenging times. We have done or said something that has brought about consequences. And that is the challenge. That is what we're going through. I was sitting with someone this week, and they had um, done some stuff and made some mistakes, and as they were sharing and um, super embarrassed and grieving their sinful actions, um, they and I were reminded that, man, our sins may be, we may be really sinful, but our Savior has a ton of mercy. Even when we sin and bring about consequences that bring about so much difficulty, the gospel still advances when God reminds us of how gracious and merciful he is. Our sins may be many, but his mercy is more. The gospel is unstoppable. That's what we've looked at. Next, let's look at how the gospel can be misused. The gospel can be misused. Everything seemed to be going well in Rome. Despite the restrictions placed on Paul, the gospel was being heard by the palace guards. And the Christians in Rome were motivated more than ever to share the gospel. On the surface, everything seemed to be going well, but a closer look uncovered, a closer look, sorry, uncovered that all was not well. Two groups of people went around sharing the gospel, but they each had different motives. Look at verse 15, 16, and 17. It says. Paul says, sorry, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Did you guys just read that? Paul is like, look, guys, remember I told you, like God is doing an amazing work in Rome as a result of my imprisonment. People are passionate about sharing the gospel and everything, right? But what you need to know is that some are doing it for 
good reasons and some are doing it for the wrong reasons. <laughs> Those who are sharing the gospel for the right reasons are doing so out of what? Out of love and out of love, knowing that Paul is in prison for the defense of the gospel, but those, there are those, check this, involved in gospel ministry for the wrong reasons. And Paul says it. They're doing it out of envy and rivalry and selfish ambition in order to what? Stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. This is crazy. All right, so who are these people? Why are they driven by envy and selfish ambition and desire to make matters worse for Paul? For starters, let's just make this clear. They were not heretics or apostates. Okay? This means that they were not preaching a counterfeit gospel or another Christ. Because if they were, what would have happened was Paul would have just confronted them. He would have called them out. He would have said, you guys, are, those guys there, they're preaching a false gospel. Don't listen to them. But what we know for sure is that these people, even though they were preaching the gospel from wrong motives, they were actually preaching the true gospel. What is happening is that these people who were not preaching a false gospel, right, but they were preaching a true gospel, were doing it with impure motives. They were driven by envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, and a sinister desire to make matters worse for Paul. In other words, <laughs> they were motivated to preach the gospel not to see sinners saved, but they were motivated to preach the gospel by a sinful, sinister desire to see Paul suffer more. Arkent Hughes says this, they actually preached Christ with the hope that it would rub salt in Paul's wounds. This is crazy. <laughs> gospel is being preached. Some are, they're all preaching the legit gospel, true gospel. Some are preaching it for good reasons, out of love. But some are preaching the gospel out of envy, rivalry, and selfish ambition. In other words, they were misusing the gospel. They were misusing the gospel because their gospel ministry, their gospel proclamation was all for the purpose 
of benefiting themselves and bringing someone else down. They misuse the gospel. What about you? What about you? How have you misused the gospel? <laughs> Some of you are like, whoa, this is getting intense. Do you mean, Obed, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I love the gospel. I proclaim. I live the gospel. How can I possibly misuse the gospel? I don't know anyone in jail called Paul, right? I don't. How can I possibly misuse the gospel? Let me tell you something. Look, as Christians, we are all prone to misusing the gospel. As Christians, it's possible for us to be involved in gospel ministry, but at the same time be driven by envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, and a sinister desire to hurt another Christian. As a pastor, okay, as a leader in the church, studying this passage, you can tell, I'm going to like use myself as like an example a lot. Uh, it's been incredibly challenging for me, right? Because as I was studying this, and I was thinking through this, I was asking the same questions. How can this possibly be? How can I be misusing the gospel and using it for selfish ambition and envy? And then I thought, no, wait a minute. I am prone to preaching, counseling, leading, sharing the gospel. I'm prone to all types of ministry. But at times, if I can be honest, I do it from, the, from false motives. I do it for the wrong reasons. At times, my motives are impure. At times, what's driving what I do is envy, rivalry, competitiveness, selfish ambition, and the desire to hurt someone's reputation. Why do you do what you do? How have you been driven by envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, and a desire to bring someone down? How have you misused the gospel? For some of you, maybe how you've misused the gospel is this is that you have misused the gospel by justifying your sinful behavior. And what I mean by that is this. I know I shouldn't do this, but God's going to forgive me anyway. So I should. it's fine. For some of you, maybe how this applies, this whole idea of justifying our sinful behavior with the gospel, with the forgiveness God gives, is this, that there's something within Christianity called missional dating, right? 
where there is someone who's not saved, but some Christians think that I really like this person, and so what I'm going to do is that I am going to date them, even though they're not a Christian, so that I can get the gospel to them. How have you misused the gospel? Why do you do what you do? Why do you read your Bible every day? Why do you pray every day? Is it driven by a need to gain God's love and acceptance? Or do you read and study and go to church as a response to God's love and acceptance for you? Because if you're doing it to gain God's love, you are involved in gospel ministry, whether it's serving, whatever you're doing. You are, using, you are misusing the gospel. Are you involved in gospel ministry for the wrong reasons or the right reasons? What's behind your involvement in church activities? Why do you do what you do? King's Cross Church, may we regularly check our motives. May we check our motives. May we ask the question of God. Like, I love doing this particular thing, but how? Why am I doing it? And am I misusing the gospel? And so we've looked at the gospel is unstoppable, the gospel can be misused. Last of all, the gospel must be first and foremost. And so, Paul is aware that there are some who are involved in gospel ministry for good and bad reasons. Um, he doesn't share all the details, but he knows some are preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition, out of a sinister desire to make matters worse for him. And so how does he respond? Look at verse 18. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is, that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. That's unbelievable, by the way. Even though the preaching of the gospel by some had the potential to make matters worse for him, he doesn't care. He just says, it doesn't matter, man. It just doesn't. What really matters is that the gospel is being preached, and because of this, I will rejoice. Paul, the reason why he's responding this way is that he was so obsessed with the fame of Jesus. He was so fixated on everyone, everywhere, hearing the gospel. His personal comfort and ease and safety became secondary. The fame of Jesus was more important to him than his personal preferences. The spread of the gospel was more important than his feelings and aspirations. Yes, what they're doing, what some of them are doing, is making life harder for him. But it's amazing how he responds with joy. Because the gospel, at least the gospel is getting preached. It's a reminder for us that the gospel should be first 
and foremost in our lives. D.A. Carson says this, Paul's example is impressive and clear. Put the advance of the gospel at the center of your aspirations, our own comfort, our bruised feelings, our reputations, our misunderstood motives, all of these are insignificant in comparison with the advance and splendor of the gospel. As Christians, we are called upon to put the advance of the gospel at the very center of our aspirations. And so, what are your aspirations? What are they? What are your goals in life? Is it to make money, to get married, to travel, to see your kids find success and happiness, to land the job of your dreams, to graduate, to retire early? These are great. There is nothing wrong with these, but you know where I'm going. The question you have to filter all of these aspirations through is this. Have these aspirations become more important than the fame and renown of Jesus. Have they? The gospel of Jesus Christ must be first and foremost in your life. It must be your first importance. Because if it is, no matter what you go through, one day you will find yourself in an unfair and difficult situation. You will be misunderstood, maligned, ignored, but the hope is if the gospel is first and foremost in your life, you will be able to respond just like the Apostle Paul. You'll be able to say, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my preference. It's not about my comfort. It's not about, oh, it's about Jesus. And as long as people are hearing about Jesus and knowing Jesus and becoming consumed with Jesus, that's all that matters. And this is what this passage is really helping us see. It's basically helping us see that it's all about Jesus. It really is. Over and over again. In Philippians, Paul will help us see why life, the life that you live, should be all about Jesus. And so, King's Cross Church, the gospel is the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And as a result, as we live a life in light of the gospel, we will see that the gospel is unstoppable. No matter what situation you find yourself in, you will see and experience God use it to advance the gospel. He will. Yes, God doesn't, God's not going to, God's aim and goal is to exalt Jesus, not to make us happy. That's true. It's to make Jesus the king. It's what it's about. And so you'll see God use whatever you go through in order to advance the gospel. You'll also, if you're wise, by God's grace, be honest and willing to ask why you do what you do. How are you misusing the gospel? How? Why are you involved in Christian ministry? 
Ask those questions. Check your motives. And when you discover that you are out of sync and you're doing it for the wrong reasons, may you discover that God doesn't just say, don't do anything, but God continues to use you despite your failures and your inability to um, do things the way he calls you to. And lastly, may the gospel be first and foremost in your life. Because if it is, whatever you go through, whatever you experience, you'll be able to say, whatever, man, it's all good as long as the gospel is being proclaimed, as long as Christ is being exalted in my lives. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. It's been challenging for me to study and think about this. And it's been challenging, I'm sure, for many here to hear it. Um, there's a lot in here. It's a lot, it's a lot in here. Um, that was hard to hear and challenging. But God, I, I'm leaning on your spirit. I'm depending on your spirit to bring about hope and comfort. God, I'm asking that you would help us respond to hardship and suffering in a way that communicates to the people around us that Christ is our treasure. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.